Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. He also reviews films for the playlist Cut Print Film and Cinemaholics.com. It is Will Ashton. Hey, John. Hey, Will. Uh, did you know that I am the author of the novel Killer Joy and another book that's going to be coming out in a couple of months? Yeah, that's yeah. Right. yeah, it's uh, well, it's called Vanguard. It's a sequel to Killer Joy. So if you are curious about that, you should definitely pick up Killer Joy and read that before you read Vanguard. I'm talking to you directly, Will, not the listeners. Oh, yeah. So. I was going to say, I wasn't <laughs> sure if this was a point attack at me or if you were just telling the reader or the future readers to check it future out. Future readers, yes. Yeah. Uh, I also wrote a book about Pixar called The Pixar Theory. I write about film for Adam Tickets, Young Folks, and Cinemaholics. I'm John Negroni. You can find more episodes of Cinemaholics on adamtickets.com, and our full archive is on cinemaholics.com. Send us an email if you have any feedback for the show or just want to chat with us. Our email is cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. We love our patrons, and if you want to become a patron as well and get perks like early access to bonus episodes, check out our Patreon on patreon.com slash cinemaholics. And Will Ashton, someone that actually mentioned to me in passing the other day that we should have a Discord. And I, I feel like if we had a Discord, I, I don't think I would ever get work done ever again. So I, have <laughs> you ever used it before? No, I'm not really familiar with that. I know the term like Discord. I, I know like... I've heard of it. I just don't know what it is. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's it's what the kids are using these days. And uh, the kids include myself, I should say. Um, I, I use Discord sometimes with some of my favorite like little micro communities. But who knows? Maybe someday we'll we'll have the time and resources to commit to doing a, a Cinemaholics community Discord. That'd be a lot of fun, I bet. But this week, we're talking about John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. And that's all we're going to be talking about this week because it, it's been a it's been a crazy month. I mean, the same with last week and this week. We're recording this much earlier than we normally would, and there just there just isn't time. Basically, I'm out of town. You're out of town. Next mm-hmm. week, I'm going to be out of town. It, it's kind oh, of really? chaotic. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I told you this already, but I might have probably I mentioned it quickly. Yeah, yeah. But we're here now. That's what matters. And we're going to talk about John Wick Chapter 3. Do you have a few off topics to get to? Will Ashton, it happened. Our Under the Silver Lake bonus episode actually came out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, on POD, Podcast On Demand. <laughs> and uh, that was great. Can you tell the listeners, what, what, what is this bonus episode? Should they Why should they check it out? Yeah, this is the episode Corey Woodruff and I recorded a couple weeks ago about the David Robert Mitchell movie Under Silver Lake, which uh, has definitely polarized basically everyone who's seen it. And so Corey and I just spent an hour talking about the film, dissecting what we thought the film was about, kind of getting a glimpse into what we felt the film was saying and what it was communicating and just a response to the film itself was also discussed. And I was just listening to the episode uh, before we recorded and I think it turned out pretty well. I was pretty happy with the final output and I hope people enjoy that once they get a chance to see the film because it is a very spoiler filled discussion. So I would definitely recommend checking out the film. Like you said, it's on VOD, check it out and then listen to our conversation because it gets, it's pretty nutty by the end. Yeah. There is a spoiler free section of the episode and I'll tell you what, Will Ashen, it was wild for me to edit the episode uh, upon, because I had to watch Under the Silver Lake, which I had to. I had been wanting to watch the movie for a right. while, and so I checked it out. And then right after, I, I dove right into your discussion, so it was kind of surreal to hear your thoughts on it. But, you know, I won't give away what you thought of the movie. I'll say real quick, I, I'm definitely in the camp of I don't know what I think yet, except that I think I love it a lot, and, and I, I I feel weird about that. And you 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 both brought up everything about it that made me very uncomfortable. So I, I had a good time processing some of my hangups with that film or otherwise, <laughs> just hearing you and Corey talk about it. And I appreciate it. I appreciated the Raymond Chandler reference that uh, Corey brought up at one yeah. point. I, I messaged him personally to thank him for that inclusion and, uh, that it's it's a good time of an episode definitely worth checking out yeah i also um i talked to you about this i guess i broke the news to you that uh during the episode this is in our non-spoiler discussion we talk about um how andrew garfield's career post amazing spider-man was kind of similar to robert pattinson's post uh, twilight and we we're talking about how he is you know kind of mirroring that uh career away from the blockbusters and then sure enough the day that episode comes out is the day that Robert Pattinson is apparently yeah. going to be playing Batman. So that pretty much uh, deflates what that I was saying there in that little tangent. So 
Uh, I guess keep in mind that the, that little thing was said way before I realized right, what was going right. to happen with Batman. But, you know, congrats to Robert Pattinson. I think he's going to do a great <laughs> job in that part. I mean, yeah, I'm not like kidding. I think he's really going to be a good Batman. Right, right, right. Yeah, we talked a bit about him uh, quite a bit. Uh, when I know when I talked about High Life, the new Claire Denis film, which one of my favorite films of the year. And uh, I know you, you enjoyed the film a bit. And so I, I think that it's an interesting move for him career-wise. But... Yeah. So other movies that we've seen recently that we just don't have time to really devote to for, you know, as many reviews as we normally would. Uh, I had a chance to see Amazing Grace, the Aretha Franklin documentary from, I think, Time magazine made the film. And oh, really? very, very fascinating. It's, it's a concert film. You, you're watching her 1972 live album recording in this Baptist church with uh, James Cleveland, who was the the pastor of that church, very, very famous gospel man back in the days. And it's pretty great. I, I really enjoyed Amazing Grace. It, it It's the kind of thing, like if you grew up it, with gospel music like I did, I, I was in a choir, so I, I loved like kind of just hearing like, and watching the whole crowd get into it. The, the only thing is the circumstances of my viewing were a little out of the ordinary because I was in a completely empty theater except for one other person. And it was this really old white guy in a cowboy hat, and he had so much commentary on this Amazing Grace film. I won't get into it, but a lot of it was pretty scandalous. Uh, So that was unfortunate. I really enjoyed Amazing Grace. I thought it was really, really terrific. Uh, Are you going to be able to check this one out in theaters, Willashin? Please say yes. Uh, Unfortunately, no, because I wanted to check it out. I actually had a chance um, to see the film in theaters, and I chose High Life because I had to pick between the two. And I was hoping to come around and... Yeah, I was hoping to come around and see Amazing Grace, but unfortunately, scheduling reasons and several other factors ultimately kept me from seeing the film. And I'm very disappointed about that because I really wanted to check it out. And um, I heard it's an amazing kind of time capsule of a movie. And if I've heard correctly, yeah. I guess the reason it took so long to come out was because um, they didn't use like clapboards. or They didn't um, use clapboards, so the audio wasn't yeah. synced to the footage, and right. which digital advancements have made it so that it's actually possible for them to sync it now. But back then there was no way to do it. And so the, I, the way I think they described it at one point, uh, cause I remember from like a news story or interview or something, it was like, it's like trying to put together a million piece jigsaw puzzle without being able to see the pieces. Mm-hmm. Like that's how hard it is to sync this sort of thing up back then, the analog that they used. But yeah, it, it's it's a wonderful documentary. Mick Jagger is there in the background at one point, which is kind of funny. Sidney Pollack directed the film, and it's well directed, and it's it's definitely it, it definitely has like a shabby, grainy, filmy quality to it that is very very makes watching it in the theater very rewarding. I would just say, even if you're not religious, the the reason to see this movie is to hear Aretha Franklin's voice and watch her in real time. You know, she doesn't have a lot of audience participation, which I was surprised to see. She's very much kind of on her own. And there's like a halo practically going over her head at one point. But seriously, like watching her perform like this, it, it's something special. And it, it really is thrilling to watch. And I was pretty mesmerized. There, there were a few other films that, that we all saw. And we both saw Wine Country, the new film on Netflix, I, I I I was very much like this is fine. <laughs> I I didn't hate it. I watched it while I was cooking some food. This is the Amy Poehler. Uh, I think Tina Fey had some part in making it. Uh, Maya Rudolph, but a bunch of f- familiar actors. W- w- what did you think of Wine Country? Did you like this one well? Um, no, I didn't really like it. But it's not a film that I like actively disliked. It was just like I'm not really I, I was disappointed more than anything. I was just like this isn't really working for me. The dialogue doesn't really seem to be as funny as the actresses yeah. who are in it warrant. It just feels like it reminded me of like three separate movies weirdly that um don't really interconnect in any other way besides comparing this film, which were like Sideways, uh Girls Trip and Grown Ups. <laughs> And I, I would say its quality is somewhere around the middle, I guess. I think I gave it about like a C plus, which is like, uh, I guess, higher than my enjoyment factor. But just like the quality of the film was just like you said, it's just fine. It's whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's C plus C. It's, it's about that for me as well. I guess I just sort of as a passive watch, it's definitely not an offensive film. By That's any what I mean. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like not offensive. It's not mean spirited. It definitely has 
like decent intentions. I just wish I got more out of it or I was enjoying it more. And um, unfortunately, that seems to be the general opinion I've seen so far. But I do yeah. know some people have enjoyed it a good bit. So I'm happy some yeah. people are getting something I enjoyed out of it. parts. I thought it had some sweet moments and I, I, yeah, I really sure. enjoyed the, in, the interpersonal relationships. I thought they did some interesting things mm-hmm. with these characters that made me care about them to an extent. Uh, would you say the same thing was for Palms? I, I know you saw that one. That's the one where Diane Keaton starts a cheerleading squad out of a retirement home. Uh, who else is in that film? I, I forget. Uh, Jackie Weaver, uh, Pam Greer, um, Rhea Perlman, a couple other people were in it it's as a, well. Yes. Golden girl cast for <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. Is that one worth checking out or is it the same kind of deal? Or it, Basically, yeah. It, it's best scene as a rental if you're gonna check it out i i didn't dislike it per se i just felt kind of indifferent towards it i i definitely liked it more than book club which i think was the film the producer of the film made beforehand which i would say that that film um it has like an idea and then it like kind of falls away from that idea like halfway through isn't the idea like we're gonna read 50 shades of gray even though we're old people uh right which isn't really a concept that's just like what people do yeah. like a lot of people have read 50 shades of gray <laughs> i don't know but <laughs> yeah. uh i like this concept a little more because it's a little more out of the box you know uh um senior citizen community choosing to be cheerleaders it's not something you see every day and i uh, will give them credit they do commit to the bit they don't uh cut halfway through so hmm. i don't know but the film itself it doesn't really it, it's like a kind of vanilla in uh indifferent in i felt very indifferent about it just it doesn't really do much of anything and i think for certain audiences if you enjoy something that's just kind of safe and fine and you know kind of bland but not in an offensive way like we said it's it's okay it's it's whatever but it's another like c plus film for me gotcha gotcha yeah I, I saw something maybe that fits into that vein as well called the last summer which kind of the same deal i want to say because it was it's this like romantic comedy sort of film. It's like teen love actually. And I kind of went off the deep end with my review. If you're curious about that, just go to cinemaholics.com and let's see if it goes right over your head. Like I think it did with some other people. Uh, Regardless, uh, very, very inoffensive comedy, I guess. Actually, I shouldn't say that. There were a few parts in the last summer that I was, I was vehemently annoyed with. Uh, the guy who plays Archie is in that. I know it's like KJ something. I always forget his actual name. I just call oh, him Archie. Hate you give. Uh, yes, he's in The Hate You Give. Maya Mitchell, who I absolutely adored from Never Going Back. And she she had a smaller role in Hot Summer Nights. And she's been in quite a few things at this point, And she's kind of on the rise. And she, she's fine in this movie. I don't know. There, there, there's a lot of actors in here who could be doing better. Halston Sage. And mm-hmm. uh, there's, uh, oh my gosh, um, Tyler Posey, the Teen Wolf, um, making making his transition to the big screen finally. Um, I, I, for listeners who don't know, I'm a big fan of Teen Wolf circa 2011. So regardless, last summer, just another kind of disposable Netflix film. Not really. I was going to say, you know, well, you, say said, what? You, you said it was a transition to the big screen, but I was, I thought for sure it was a Netflix <laughs> film. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, I still think the Netflix is a big screen. Will Ashton. Okay. Netflix has its own, has its own prestige that we should not, we should not underestimate. So and there's one more thing. Again, another Netflix thing. I, I was going to talk about Shira briefly, season two. I'm still going through it though, so I might talk about it on a future episode of this show. But will you just you've been watching a sketch comedy show that I've been hearing more and more things about called I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson. Is that worth checking out? And uh, what, what's the deal with that? Oh yeah, for sure. I really, really got a kick out of that show. Um, it was recommended to me by a couple people, primarily uh, Chris Sheridan, who co-host saying ogre tits ogre with me he was like i really think this is going to be in your style of comedy and sure enough i i got a chance to check it out i'm now seeing the season twice which is pretty rare for me i don't usually watch shows more than once but hmm. uh i really am getting a kick out of it and I, I i think i might check it out a few more times just because it's it's just pure dumb absurdist comedy that uh i i definitely tend to enjoy and i think based on the reactions from twitter and elsewhere that a lot of people are getting uh, quite a kick out of it as well. I don't I don't know how far the reach is, but I do think that it's wider than Netflix anticipated. Hmm. So I, I am glad to hear that. But yeah, it's filled with celebrity cameos as well. Will Forte, Vanessa Bayer, 
uh, Cicely Strong, uh, Fred Willard, a bunch of people, uh, Tim Heidecker, a couple other people that you might know, or they, they all kind of make sprinkled appearances in the show. And it, it definitely gets very, very uh, bonkers, especially because the comedy is like the best way I can describe the show is it's like basically all the weird like Kyle Mooney, Beck Bennett type skits from SNL kind of crammed into one show. And so it, it's like basically like a whole show filled with those weird skits that they type to do, they like to do. And yeah. I hope Kyle and Beck, they, they do like a show like this because I think their talents could be better served elsewhere, given how uh, SNL tends to disrespect them and put all their stuff on online instead of in the show. So that's oh, a I cannot agree point. more with that yeah. sentiment. Yes. So, yeah, I think in that mind, if you if you tend to enjoy like the kind of sillier, goofier, weirder stuff from SNL, because uh, Tim Robinson is from SNL, and he also did Detroiters on Comedy Central. Uh, if you tend to like that kind of comedy, especially like Lonely Island, because the Lonely Island guys are involved with the show as well, hmm. uh, I would definitely check it out. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely will get to it at some point. Uh, there are definitely some things we didn't see. The Sun is also a star, which I'm actually planning to check out. That's the new sort of romantic drama that's based on the Nicola Yoon novel. And it's it's only been on my radar because I thought it had a pretty good trailer. <laughs> and by good trailer, I mean good like trailer song. And mm-hmm. other than that, there was A Dog's Journey, which I, I didn't go to my screening for this oh, one. Man. I think you had a conflict for your screening and you chose John Wick 3. Is, yeah. is that correct? Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. They, they <laughs> scheduled uh, John Wick Chapter 3 and A Dog's Journey on the same night at the same time. Yeah. I, I don't know if that was intentional, but I thought whoever scheduled that conflict was being very very cheeky yeah yeah this is a so dog's journey that's the sequel to a dog's purpose which another 2017 film which i think we briefly mentioned on this show i don't think you actually reviewed it i know i didn't see it yeah i think it was actually the month before we started cinemaholics when i saw it okay yeah i i might watch a dog's journey will ashton i don't think i need to see the first one but i think i'm still gonna watch this one and Mm. I don't know why. I I think the trailers have done it. Have they? They've done it. They've hooked me into this this See, dog movie universe. That's how I I have seen the first one. So I feel like I don't even need to see this one because I know what I'm going to get. <laughs> it's going to be like the same thing over again. I didn't like it the first time, so I'm not. It wasn't it that. Again. That's that's fitting, Will Ashton. It's the same thing over again. Yeah, that's the exactly. point of the movie, isn't it? Right. But all right, real quick. Last week we talked about Detective Pikachu. That was a really great discussion and. Mm-hmm. We we're recording this not too long after this episode went live, so we only have a couple of comments. Uh, we had a comment from Joshua who said, "I loved this movie, Detective Pikachu, all the way through. World building and small details on the Pokemon themselves was irresistible to me, and I actually did have an easy time taking my kids. They're six and eight, and they both adored the whole thing. It's an A for me. That's a high grade. I, I yeah, I heard I heard some people were taking their younger kids to see this. My my sister took her two daughters who are I think they're 7 and 5. So kind of kind of similar, but they they went to see Detective Pikachu with uh, my brother-in-law and they they apparently loved it like crazy. So yeah. I, I don't know, Lash. I feel like I feel like uh, this 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 one's going to perhaps do a little bit better than maybe you and I predicted box office wise. I don't. I mean, I don't remember thinking it was going to do low, if I remember correctly. But I feel yeah, like we were pretty conservative about his chances of of really breaking big. But yeah, you, we we weren't like doomsayers by any stretch. I don't know because I mean, I did I didn't do it officially, but on Twitter I did the summer movie wager, and I think I put it at like number four. Oh wow! Or yeah, you, five for the summer. You have high so hopes. I think it's going to do really well, but um, yeah, no, I definitely think it's 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 pretty accessible to the younger audiences as long as they don't ask questions about one or two of the jokes that come up here and there but uh yeah i mean i think it's a pretty pretty easy watch for all audiences and so uh yeah i'm glad that people are really responding to it yeah kids especially i think that's the key Uh, right that's what i I, I didn't i didn't do the summer movie wager this year but i just never got to it but if i was gonna do it i think i would put detective pikachu a bit lower in the top 10 probably more like seven or eight but who knows? Uh, th- that thing is such a such a crapshoot, right? So mm-hmm. that that's that's about all we got. There there was another comment. Uh, Perry wants to know what is the I like this extra milestone. So what's the <laughs> next extra milestone? Very fun. Yeah. 
Uh, we're going to be talking about the 400 blows for the month of May. So if you want to follow along with that, definitely check out the 400 blows when you can. I don't actually know because I still haven't seen it in, in anticipation for Extra Milestone this month. But I don't know how you can get a hold of that aside from going to your local library, doing all the normal stuff that we, we recommend that you do. But uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's on like iTunes or anything like that, but well, uh, definitely seek it out if you can. I know it's a Criterion Channel uh, title. I don't know if it's in the oh, Criterion collection. Yeah, I mean, the Criterion the, the, site. Yeah, it's, it's the other called. way around. It's in the Criterion collection, but not everything in the collection is on the Criterion Channel. So there you, go. you never know. Yeah. Yeah, because, so, and they do rotate uh, it, so it could be next week for all we know. Right. So, um, otherwise, I I know I put a hold on it at my local library, and I definitely know that there's a Criterion version that's out there. So if you can get a hold of that, uh, I think that's probably the best way to see it. Probably. All right. With that, let's go right into our review of John Wick Chapter Three, which is subtitled Parabellum. This is the third installment in the action franchise that hangs quite a lot on Keanu Reeves as its central hitman protagonist. He's known in the films as the infamous John Wick, whose name alone inspires deep fear and respect throughout an increasingly elaborate network and infrastructure of organized criminals filled with rules and mythology to fill the time in between high-octane gunfights and knife beatdowns. I, I want to bring up, too, I, I feel like we didn't really get to this point. Maybe we did. I haven't listened to that first episode in, in a couple of years, but... I, I want to say, with the director here, Chad Stahelski, correct, or something like that. Uh, you're asking me. I'm, I'm never good with names, so sure, sure. I, I think I think he co-directed the first film with David Leach. Then he right. has single directed the next two films and wrote them. Yeah, and uh, or not no, wrote them. Wrote Sorry, it. Derek Colsted wrote them and created mm-hmm. kind of the idea. But Stahelski, I believe he was actually the stunt man for Keanu Reeves in the Matrix movies. Mm-hmm. So it's so it's so interesting to see, you know, the John Wick movies do kind of feel like spiritual successors to like two thirds of what makes the Matrix movies kind of the Matrix movies, right? Sort of the mm-hmm. action and the world building, but it doesn't really have the philosophy and the sort of like I don't know if we want to get into like cultural impact or anything like that, because the John Wick movies are pretty popular. Like my my screening, this is an R-rated film, biggest theater or the biggest screen in our theater, and it was sold out. Like every seat was taken. So I, I yep. do think this is kind of a franchise on the rise, and which you know, no spoilers or anything. That could mean more films are coming our way. Correct? Yeah, so, I think they actually. Um... I think that's safe to say. Yeah, I think they have plans to actually make a pretty like expansive universe out of this. Like, I think there's like yeah. a TV show maybe in the works. I don't know for sure. Somebody in my screening mentioned that, but I didn't confirm it. But right, and it would yeah. center around the Continental uh, right. location. Yeah. yeah, that's what I heard. So, uh, I guess it is in the works. Yeah, and I don't. I think they're going to do them as long as Keanu can. Like, I think he's committed to it. I think he wants to make these movies as long as he can. But I also think that he knows that he's like in his fifties by now, right? He's the yeah. uh, He's not, you know, not old, but not a spring chicken. And, you know, uh, eventually there's going to come a time where he just can't, especially because these movies keep upping the ante with each one. I feel like he's he has to know that, like, to make a respectable sequel, there's going to be a cutoff point. I don't know if that's four or if it's already a three or if it's going to be five or what have you. But, yeah, I don't know how long he can do it personally, but I think they have big plans for this universe as far as what they want to do inside of it. I think that's right. And fair warning you know to talk about chapter three means that we we have to give away the general story thus far so if you're unfamiliar with the first two films and you want it to stay that way you don't want to know how things sort of turn out generally speaking then definitely catch up this is your chance to pause and come back once you're ready for chapter three so This film, it picks up really just a few minutes or so after the end of chapter two. Mm -hmm. And at this point, John Wick has been forced to break the rules of the high table. They sort of govern the rules of all these criminals. And his big sin was he murdered someone in the Continental, which we mentioned, and that's considered consecrated or neutral territory. You're not allowed to kill anyone. And if you break the rules with these powerful criminal leaders, they brand you excommunicado. Excommunicado. Yes, yeah. got to have the, the very theatrical way of saying it, yes. <laughs> All that means is that every single assassin in the world now is on the hunt to kill John Wick. And every assassin, it's it's 
that's maybe overblowing it. It's because the this world is so bonkers, right? In this world, like I want to say, like maybe twenty percent of the population is assassin or connected to them in some way. But I think yeah, it's you, more actually, but I it don't could know. be <laughs> at least in New York City, right? Yeah. But yeah, so so we we have about like 20 or 30 minutes before Axe happens and the movie begins with John on the run. And you really get this feeling from the get-go. This is more of like a survival thriller than the previous films. The first John Wick, it was much more of a revenge film. The The second one, it had like a, a neo-noir twinge. It was more of like a, it was more of a thriller in that sense. And this third one maintains the neo-noir for sure. But it also has this sense of perpetual dread over John Wick's mortality and just his circumstances, because he's been fighting nonstop for weeks at this point. Like the the movies have been a continuous thing. The story never really ceased. And it's kind of to what you were saying before, like they found a way to maybe say, hey, Keanu Reeves isn't slowing down because he's old. It's because he's in pain and he's he's obviously tired from all of this, this ordeal that he's gone through. Mm-hmm. And at this point in Chapter 3, he's desperate, he's surrounded, he needs allies. So throughout the film, you are really wondering in Chapter 3, like, what in the world can this guy – yes, he's the legendary John Wick. He can do anything. He can beat anybody, whatever. But what can he hope to do – uh, against you know the, the, these unbelievably difficult circumstances, and at one point he arrives at the doorstep of a fellow assassin who owes him a favor. Here's a clip where the two of them discuss what might happen next. Uh, this woman is played by Halle Berry. You do realize that I'm management now, right? I'm not service anymore, John, so I don't go around shooting people in the head. I'm not asking you to kill anyone. I just need you to get me to him. To who? Your old boss. You want to kill Barada? I'm not going to kill him. I just need to talk. What could he possibly give to you? Guidance. Look, I made a deal when I agreed to run this hotel. And that deal said that I had to follow the rules of the table. If you're not going to kill him, he is going to kill you. And then probably me, too, for walking you up in there. All right. That is a clip from John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. It's called Parabellum for reasons that better left unspoiled. I think there's a nice little payoff to that title, personally. But Will Ashen, you know, it's amusing how time flies. Because it was just two-plus years ago that you and I were reviewing John Wick, Chapter 2, one of, if not the first films we ever reviewed on Cinemaholics. Do you remember our conversation about John Wick Chapter Two? Have you have you ever revisited it? Um, I mean, besides listening back to it the first time, I don't think I revisited it. But I remember Same like here, yeah. vaguely. I, I remember like saying that it felt like you're being at a club and you'd like dance a lot and then you get really tired and then you like get uh, there's something like that. I remember like some like metaphor I used for it, and that's the only thing I really remember about that conversation. Yeah, I remember I I really liked Chapter 2. I really liked the first John Wick. The first John Wick was a bit of a surprise, I think, for a lot of people because the directors, they they were basically unknowns for action movies like this. I mean, they, outside of the stunt coordination world, right? And this really sort of looked like, oh, they're just trying to do like another kind of Matrix thing. And, and the, the plot looked kind of cookie cutter. And the big surprise of that first John Wick was like, oh, wow, like the Continental and all this world building is so interesting. Like this, this movie has a style and it has some interesting, it just has some interesting flair to it. It was never big on ideas. And I think that's where the second film kind of made me really appreciate this franchise on a deeper level. I really enjoyed the second film. I thought it was just such a, great expansion of the lore i thought that the the fights were so much more thrilling and tight uh, there was a better wind down through to the third act and common was in it this had so many things going for it but two years later we now have john wick chapter three and what what did you think of this one will ashen are you are you john wicked out at this point or are you still in uh, well, I'll, I'll start with my thoughts on the John Wick films before before I lead up to um, the third one, because I think it kind of leads into it. But uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed that first John Wick movie. And I think it 
I, I did like it the first time I saw it, but I think it's a film that I've seen it three times now. Uh, and each time I've watched it, I've grown to like it more and more because in my view, it's like the ultimate red box movie. It's like the film where you see it, like the poster and you see, you know, Keanu Reeves at that point, he wasn't really as prime. And, you know, like you see like a kind of generic looking title, a kind of generic looking plot. And you're like, Oh, this just seems like an, any other, you know, B movie that's on here. And you watch it. And it's not only good, but it kind of changes like the action genre in Hollywood at the time, because at, the, at that point, you know, it was like the Taken sequels and uh-huh. uh, every other movie that was trying to rip off the Matrix kind of shaky cam style. And it felt like they were using that to kind of cover up like lazy choreography or, you know, like kind of lackluster action stars. And this movie, it's clear, crisp cinematography. You know, it's very precise the movie it definitely has like this kind of operatic rhythm to it that i think it if it didn't force hollywood to like kind of step up its game it it made other people realize like oh we can't like wing it like we used to i feel like it's like now we kind of have to like match or at least try to be somewhere on the level of john wick or else we're embarrassing ourselves at this point so i do appreciate that this movie kind of out of nowhere came into the franchise status that did and I do, having rewatched uh, John Wick Chapter 2, I do like it a little more now than I did when I first saw it in theaters. However, I still have some of my same complaints about that film, which is that I just really appreciate how that first movie is so tight and so, like, it, it's so focused on what it's doing. It, it knows exactly what it's trying to say. And that first 30 minutes of that movie is all built up and it just makes that first scene in the house where he's, like, shooting, like, the 13 henchmen. It just makes it so rewarding. And then... Uh, the second movie, in comparison to me, I, I do like that expanded the world and that you kind of got a bigger idea of what's going on here. But it kind of felt like a blessing and a curse. Like it felt like, oh, now we get the better understanding of what's going on. We kind of see exactly how this is like a world filled of assassins. But at the same time, it's like, oh, you know, there's just something about that novelty of that first movie that's a little lost here. And I do think the action of that film, especially because it's very gun focused, tends to get a little repetitive and uh maybe even a bit problematic, but I do think with this third movie, um, it, it does have some of the problems I have with the second movie, but for the most part, I think it, it feels like a proper successor to the first movie. As far as the sequels are concerned, it is long. It does feel a little overstuffed for my view, but I just, I, I mean, the way that the movie is so willing to just kind of up the ante at every single turn and just like produce as much action as possible. And, and so many creative in different ways, I especially love in this movie. Uh, compared to the second one, it, it goes out of its way to have like action scenes of all different varieties. You know, like they're fighting swords in one scene. There's like a horse chase scene. There's a scene in Casablanca. And like there's many, many different things are going on. I don't want to spoil anything else. But uh, it just it, it, it definitely is clear that the filmmakers here, they, they want to give something that uh, it feels not only true to the other films that we've gotten, but a little different, like a little bigger, a little expansive. It reminded me in good many ways of the raid movies. And that's not just because the raid guys are in it, but yeah, it just, especially the, the last act that we're not going to say in full, there is something very raid two esque about it that I enjoyed a good bit. And yeah, I mean, I definitely think it earns that franchise status. And I do think that to your point earlier, what also makes it rewarding is you get that morality along with it. You know, you do get the pathos of, John Wick as a character, you know, the weighted, uh, you know, like just the extremity of what's going on does impact the character. There is growth there. There is stuff going on. It does. It doesn't expand in like huge ways. You know, it's still like a guy grieving about the loss of his wife. And, you know, you can pretty much explain it in like a paragraph. But at the same time, you know, there is clear character work. There's clear work that goes into these movies. And it's in no way at all is it lazy. Like they definitely go out of their way to make this movie as big and expansive and uh pulsating as possible and you know you just you just gotta respect that i feel yeah yeah so much to unpack there i i think with this one that, that operatic rhythm you mentioned it's still there it's still there i think the the variety is key i think there's not a lot i can i can criticize this film on on action there were some moments where i felt like it's not that it was being repetitive there, there were some really strategic cuts I think that loss of fluidity of those first two films a little bit. And I want to say it's maybe because I think they're, they're having to lose a little bit of that attention to detail, which is what made me fall in love with these films the way that I did. 
with this third one. I think there are just some moments where some things don't quite measure up. There are some things that kind of, it's really starting to stretch logic at this point with this film. I think we're on the, about the same page with it, but only because I think I'm coming from a high, high, high with the last movie. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of coming down to like your level because I think, I think the second one exhausted a lot of goodwill that I had with stretches in logic that the world building creates because at this point you have certain moments in this film where things are happening and they they just don't they just don't fit a sense like they're just too far past believability for me to appreciate them and i'm also starting to feel really worn out with movies like this where this really is one person versus a bunch of people gets out of the situation relatively unscathed over and over again and even though the fights themselves have a bit of variety, it wasn't until toward the end of this movie that they started to actually inject some life into those scenarios. And so I came back around on this one, actually. I, I was mm-hmm. kind of not feeling this one a lot in the middle of it. But yeah, toward the end, you mentioned the raid guys show up and the, all of a sudden, it, it's like they wanted to experiment with that sense of humor that really made the first one shine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one relies a little bit on Fishburne for some of the funny things. But in this movie, the, it, Lance Reddick, I think he always kind of had like a situational funny to him. Oh, I, I think Shane had fantastic. a dry wit. Yeah, but their their humor was always like very dry, right? Mm-hmm. And and in this one, they didn't. They have Jason Manzukis in it, but they don't. They don't use the like the stereotypical comedian. They they use this guy, uh, Mark Dacascus, De, De, uh, I want to say his oh, yeah. name. A uh, very very talented martial artist. He he's been in a, a few other films. I think French films. And he, if you saw him, you would definitely recognize this guy. He's been in, in some very well known things. And they just let him have a personality that I think was sorely missing from some of the villains in the previous films. And, and and not to give anything away, I mean, he's kind of like a John Wick fanboy, which is just kind of funny. And it's just kind of like, that. that's what I mean. It's like, it, it sort of added a new dynamic to these fights that it, it really needed because we were just endless, endless, like retreading of, yes, we get it. Like the action scenes stopped having dramatic weight to them. I think that you get away with it in the first film because it's it's vengeance and you're watching this guy's descent, regression back into who he used to be. The second film is a little different because you see somebody kind of like panicking as like he gets tangled up in a web. And in this third one, he's just trying to survive. And it gets to the point where you, you know an action scene has a problem when the character doesn't learn anything from the action scene. The character doesn't have any real conflict that relates to the main story through an action scene. You really just feel like they're filling time. And that's where I came out of a lot of these action scenes with the exception of a few. And especially with the Halle Berry character, I I really thought that that was just not very good storytelling with her. I thought that Halle Berry sold every line that she gave but I, I walked out of the theater with that particular character relationship, not fully understanding it. I don't know if that's just me, though. Where, where did you come away with uh, Halle Berry in particular? Yeah, definitely. I, I'm pretty much in alignment with what you're thinking, because I, I remember feeling that way uh, when I reminisced about the film, because like the there's something about the end of the film, which like I think is really well executed. It's really well done. And it's really exciting. But I just remember feeling like way more kind of worn out than I anticipated. I was like, why am I feeling that way? And I realized it was just because that middle segment, it just went on for so long. And really when I thought about it, I was like, in the grand scheme of things, like considering where it goes and like what it's trying to do, it feels like it's just kind of there to, if not fill fill things out, then just maybe set up a character that's going to be in a bigger deal in another movie. I don't know if that's the plan to have Halle Berry kind of like be a spinoff movie or something. And Jerome Flynn as well. What was that? I said in Jerome Flynn. He well, oh. you wouldn't know him as well, I guess, because he's a Game of Thrones kind of well known for his oh. role in that show. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, a lot of weird um, Game of Thrones connections with these movies. Yeah, yeah, not a lot. I mean, there's a good amount. Well, um, Ian I just, I can't. And, I, I there's one thing 
in uh, particular specifically, but I can't say it without spoiling. So I'll have to explain it off the air. But sure. there is something about Game of Thrones actors in this movie that is weirdly a trend, which I can't say. But anyway, um, yeah, I just I I didn't dislike the middle segment, but yeah, I'm definitely in alignment with you. Where it just felt, it just kind of felt like it was biding its time to the ending, the climax, like the 45 minute ending piece, which. Yeah, I, it, it's not bad, like I said, but I'd rather it had had that time spent elsewhere, maybe done something a little bit different. But yeah, I'm, I'm mostly right. agreeing with This movie, I mean, it's it's well over two hours. It's 131 minutes, and it, it really didn't need to be, <laughs> simply because it, there aren't really any ideas here. I, I don't think there's anything about the John Wick character that we learn on any meaningful way. We do get some of his backstory, Right, and and this I think is what is indicative of this film being a bit lesser for me compared to the previous two, which I know for you is it's probably on par with them, if not maybe a little bit better. Is what I'm hearing, but we'll get to that. I, I think in this one, you right, so you get his backstory, right? You meet Angelica Houston, you find out he certain things about him we won't give away, and it's all very interesting. It's all very like, oh, that, okay, that I buy that. Like that's a that's a nice little way to flesh out where this character comes from, but there's nothing, there's nothing to it. Like it, it doesn't relate with the resolution of the film with the central conflict. It has nothing to do with the key antagonism in this film. Any, any of the characters who are antagonists, mainly Asia K. Dillon, who is this adjudicator who I, I really liked her. You know, I thought she was a nice addition to this universe, very kind of cold. And uh, I, I didn't think where she eventually goes is all that interesting. Unfortunately, I, I kind of was hoping for a better payoff with her, but in general, I, I just see there's this big chunk of the movie where I'm like, oh, this must be what the third movie is about. It's like John Wick, you know, this is what he's here for. This is what it's all been leading toward. But then you just get the sense that, no, they want to make another movie. So we don't have time to to, to get to, to that important stuff. But to say something kind of positive, I do think there's a nice reminder in this film that we are dealing with criminals. And I was starting to worry. I was like, I want there to maybe be just a little bit of a morsel of commentary of these are criminals who the point of being a criminal, right? Is that freedom, right? Freedom to break the law, but they're just, they're, they're just as under the thumb of rules as anybody else, if not more so like the, this world is very strict. It's very unforgiving. And I kind of want the next movie. And I wanted this movie to really dive into the psychology of these people and what compels them to be in this life is it really about the money or is it is there something else going on here they, they've set a lot of things up and i just feel like they're waiting for other things to maybe pay them off later and that's that's kind of frustrating me at this point i think when we left with the second film i thought the second film ended perfectly because it was so indicative of there are so many directions that this can go in and now that we've got to where that direction went it kind of just sort of went in the most predictable way possible, save for action-wise, and went into some really, really cool avenues to what you were saying before. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying, and I think every criticism that you point out is valid. But at the same time, I also don't want to dismiss that I really had a good time watching this movie. Like, despite all the film's flaws, I definitely good was. Good time, Will Ashen over here. Oh, well, no, I just want to stress times. that, like, I know, I mean... I, I do think there are a lot of flaws and I do I think every criticism you point out for the most part I agree with but I will say that like that first 20 minutes where John is on the run and you know you just see him going through like all these different extraneous means of keeping himself alive is really just easily one of the most thrill, uh one of the most thrilling action sequences I've seen in theaters in a really long time and uh, I, I also want to stress that even though I did kind of get burned out by the end uh, the you know, final sequence that they have at the end of there is just really just, just good fun, man. I mean, yeah, uh, I, I, I don't just, disagree I, with that at all. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I also do like, like the ideas that are put into play here. I do think there, it does, you know, it does kind of retread a lot of different things that they did in past films, notably two and one. But I also, like you said, I mean, I really enjoy that they add more humor into this one, especially because I think that was kind of lacking in the second movie. And I do agree with you with the villain in the second movie was I, I well yeah, I don't think you pointed this out, but I think the villain in the second one was pretty uh drab. I don't really think there's much to that villain that I felt was a big improvement. 
with the villains they added to this film, you know, having a, a little bit more personality there and having someone be a little more distinct than what they had in the uh, previous film there. So, yeah, I definitely think, you know, there are shortcomings here. I, I, I still don't know exactly where I stand on the uh, world of assassins they have here because I don't know if it's like a blessing or a curse for the film. It takes away kind of it does take away from what I really enjoy with that first movie. But I also just knowing where the movie ends here, I, I what they're teasing for the potential fourth movie just sounds so ridiculous and bombastic as an idea for a film that I, I think I'm kind of winning. My, I, I was more won over by John Wick, I think, by the end. And it sounds like you were kind of starting to it, it was losing its luster for you by that point. So it's kind of a fascinating uh, difference for us. I suppose so. I, I I don't know if it's any one thing, right? It because that's the thing. It's like if I felt like the ideas here weren't that great, but everything else was swimming, right? Then I, I definitely wouldn't be souring on the film whatsoever. I think it's just a combination of things for me. Of okay, I, I think that they're maybe resting on their laurels a little bit taking a few of us for granted uh, in terms of viewers and in terms of fans of this franchise. And and, and I, I almost make it sound like it's a bad movie. Like I'm saying that. And I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just sort of focusing on some of the negatives that I think were forced, unforced errors because there's such an easy way to sort of write in things with this world that both make sense and develop John Wick into someone who can really be a character that really connects and resonates with people. One nice thing that they do in this movie that I did appreciate was they sort of twisted the legend of John Wick a little bit. In the first two movies, he's someone who's to be feared. And in this movie, he's someone to be kind of coveted. Uh, people, they, for different reasons, they want him to be their prize in some way. And they, they get a little self-aware in this movie of like, you know, at one point somebody's like, hey, I just want to let you know, like I'm a big fan. Like right before they try to kill him. Like there's mm-hmm. fun stuff in there about that. And it's nice because the first film, it was such a stoic admiration and over time, they've allowed it to be a little bit, well, you know, the legend is sort of fading because he's back in the game and people are fighting him and he's, he doesn't have that same speed, right? He's he's definitely he, he's definitely a bit more vulnerable in this film. And th- there was good stuff in there in, in that territory. I just guess they just don't go all the way with it, which frustrates me, I guess is all I'm saying. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said, but going all the way. I don't know if I fully agree with that. Um I, I really think that this movie does go out of its way to be as satisfying and uh, just big and expansive as possible. And I really don't know how they're going to keep themselves going for a fourth or potential fifth movie. But I, yeah, no, I, I definitely think they really wanted to provide a fun, uh, enjoyable crowd pleaser of an action film. And I think first and foremost, as a piece of entertainment, it really does succeed. But I do agree with you that narratively, I do think this is probably the, I don't know if I want to say the messiest, but maybe the less like focused or the less like uh, narratively pleasing of all the films. But uh, well, I guess I, I would actually retrace that. I'd say the second one was maybe less narratively pleasing for me. But I do think, yeah, that the sequels, they don't quite pack the same punch for me as that first movie did. But there is something about this third one that really it, it won me over in a way that uh, I was glad it did. So. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely agreeing with a lot of your points and a lot of your criticisms, but at the same time, I feel like I'm surprisingly a little more favorable of this experience overall. Well, I'm I'm glad that you brought your your bulletproof suit, <laughs> Will Ashen, so you could deflect all of my my bullet criticisms, and uh, I think I think you're doing great with that. So, okay, uh, my grade for this one is a B. It's definitely not the heights that I think the second one was by suggestion alone. In some ways. But it's still really great. On a visceral level, it's hard to top this film action-wise, even though I do think in some areas, I think they're starting to drop the ball a little bit on details and believability and things like that. But it's still, to what you're saying, I couldn't agree more. It, it's, it's such a thrilling watch. <laughs> to the point where the theaters are being filled with people who are like, you know, your everyday everyday moviegoers who just want to see a decent action film to the point where people around me are the, the vo- sort of misbehaving 
moviegoers. I was kind of annoyed with that. So people talking a lot and people being, although there were some good reactions in the theater, which was fun. Like I was kind of being like, oh, no, you know, like very loud, audibly gasping at certain parts. And so I, uh, mainly in the beginning of this film, there, there's something, there are a few things that happened early in this film. I was like, oh my, like just, I couldn't help but be loud uh, and, and the rest of the theater obliged. But B for me, what about you, Will Ash? Uh, yeah, I, I think quality wise, the film is somewhere around a B, but overall, I'd say I'd give it a B plus just for that entertainment value and just for, I mean, really just a good theater experience of getting a, pretty much what I wanted the movie to be despite its hangups. Uh, yeah, I had a really good time with this one. All right. I think it would be a B plus for me if the the woman next to me had not brought a fillet of fish and that, oh, that was no. really starting to get on my nerves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Joking, obviously, but anyway, uh, yeah, critics love this oh. film. I, I think that's fair to say. You were to say? Uh, this is. I, I should have made this point earlier when we were talking about Lance Riddick, but I was going to say, if they are going to make a couple spinoff movies, please give me a spinoff movie where it's just Lance Riddick and the dogs. I want like a hotel for dogs <laughs> with Lance Riddick, just in that in the, uh, what do they call that place? Uh, the Continental. The, uh, yeah, the Continental. Oh, uh, that would be pretty funny. You know, just like more dogs, like other assassins have dogs, like obviously like Halle Berry <laughs> has like a bunch of dogs. Just like I just want to see what that what while all this craziness is going on, just like what his life is like with all the dogs. I think that'd be, you know, a quality picture. You know, send me the, the, the checks when you decide to make that movie. <laughs> Hollywood, on. get get this man in a <laughs> get this man in a writer's room. He's got some yeah, ideas yeah. for you. There you go. But yeah, what were you saying? I, I was just going to say, uh, critics are loving this film. It's 88% of critics gave it a fresh review on Rotten Tomatoes. Its average rating is 7.43. And yeah, I'm, I'm seeing most people dig it. <laughs> you know, I'm seeing even some people think that it's it's a high point of this franchise. And I think box office wise, it could do really well for an R-rated film. It, it might gross anywhere between 30 and $40 million. And it's getting a pretty wide release to match that. It's going to be out in about 3,700 theaters in North America. So there is a very good chance it's going to be playing in your area. And I was surprised actually real quick. I, for some reason I thought this was a Warner brothers thing but it's actually lion's gate and it's mm-hmm. summit so uh I, my mistake on that for for some reason john wick i think of john wick i think of keanu reeves i guess i still think of warner brothers but uh that is definitely not the case for this so with that 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 sort of ends our our shortened episode of cinemaholics uh lots of stuff to talk about next week i'm excited about i'm going to be seeing aladdin uh, in a couple of days, can't wait for that conversation. It's going to be next week and Booksmart, which, well, I got to tell you, man, I think I'm going to watch Booksmart again before Third we time. talk about it. I, yeah, and we've already talked about it on the show, so it won't be the focus review. But then also, I hope we get a chance to see Brightburn. I, I want to see that as well. I haven't oh, yeah. seen any, yeah, no screenings or anything in this area, but hopefully, it, it'll be playing and in, 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 around the Bay Area, so we can talk about it. Yeah, I didn't know. I forgot that was coming out next week, so. I'm pretty excited about that one as well. Hope I get Same a chance to here. check that out. Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be coming out nationwide, so not not a limited release. I think one of the main limited releases is going to is going to be the Tomorrow Man, another film that uh, I managed to catch already that I I've been waiting to hear what you think of. So definitely check for the Tomorrow Man uh, in your area, Will Ashen, and that's of course the the John Lithgow fil- film with Blythe Danner that is uh, just. This is a very fun uh, indie movie to go check out if it's happening, if it happens to play in your area. But with that, don't forget, if you love Cinemaholics, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, you know the drill. All the links to our social media, our email, all of that is in the show notes and our Patreon and everything like that. Uh, keep your eyes peeled for some... Uh, I, I think we're going to be hopefully doing some more bonus episodes in the month of May before it closes out. Uh, hope, I guess just extra milestone for now is all we have planned, but keep your eyes peeled. We might have some things coming. And with that... We'll see you all next week from the Internet California. I am John Agroni. And for the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. See you next time.